series two of my podcast, Innovation, where I get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. As a result, I studied mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. By the end of my studies, I was able to mathematically model chaotic behaviours such as turbulence, but it was only after university that life itself taught me that not everything can be explained with a neat little mathematical equation. Life doesn't always unfold in a straight line. There are lots of twists and turns along the way. And here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women deal with this. This week, I talk to Precious Lunga, a neuroscientist and epidemiologist. My name is Dr. Precious Lunga. Um, My background is that I'm an epidemiologist and a neuroscientist. And right now, I actually founded um, a health tech startup, which is my full-time occupation right now. And it's called Baobab Circle. And we've developed an app that really supports people with chronic health conditions, manage their health across Africa. So how did you get into epidemiology to begin with? Oh, well, actually I started off as a neuroscientist. So I, I, I didn't even really know about epidemiology in a sense. Um, and it was really at the end of my, my PhD in neuroscience that I thought I really wanted to do more. I wanted to learn about the world. I felt um, as if I'd been in the ivory tower, so to speak, and um, wanted to experience, experience the world. And epidemiology, in epidemiology, is more noise. It's about people's behaviours impacting health. Um, it's about data and you're really out there, it's very different from a controlled experiment in a lab. And that's how I really moved from what I originally started on to, to epidemiology, looking at populations and how can you make people healthy. So for people that are completely non-STEM, I mean, could you just give us a basic synopsis of what neuroscience is and what epidemiology is? Because they're quite big, scary words. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, neuroscience is really understanding how the brain works, right? And, And our whole being, who we are, almost everything that we do is controlled by the brain. I mean, the brain is the super organ. And that's what fascinated me about, about, about the brain. Um, um, and so you can study it from the level of um, observing behavior right down to individual brain cells and how they fire and speak to each other. So you can go really macro, really micro. Um, whereas epidemiology uh, is really about studying what are the, the determinants of health or ill health. And an epidemiologist is more like a, you, you're kind of detective. You, 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 you understand, trying to understand what is happening, um, what is causing it and how do you change it? How do you improve it? And then how do you measure that what you've done is actually, has actually had an impact. And I think actually with um, COVID, more people know what an epidemiologist is or what they do because 
before people would think I was doing something to do with skin and I'd explain, no, actually it's really about the determinants of health and ill health and how we can impact. In terms of what you're actually specifically doing now, mm-hmm. how are you having an impact in the world? With chronic health conditions like diabetes, hypertension, um, why it attracted me, it, it brought together um, the two different aspects, my interest in, in, in the brain and behaviors and my interest in how do we actually improve health. If you have a chronic health condition, you need to do quite a lot of self-management. And that means you have some degree of motivation. Um, You need some monitoring and you need to really understand what are the key things you need to get right in order to be healthy. And And so the work that I'm doing right now is we said, okay, there are not enough doctors, even in, even in the UK, there's not enough doctors. So you can imagine in a resource constrained setting, there are not enough doctors. And yet if you have a chronic health condition, you need someone to really help and support you to really understand what you need to do. What do you need to be doing more exercise? When you need to be taking your medication, what tests you need, what tests need to be done. Um, and yet at the same time, almost everyone, has a mobile phone now. And so it was, that's where the technology comes in, is can we then personalize that support that we provide and localize it, deliver it in the local language, and at the same time, be able to track and understand that the message that we're providing, is it having an impact? Because we can also see by measuring the blood glucose or blood pressure, whether there's an improvement over time. And so it helps you to, to provide information, but also measure and see whether what you're doing is having an impact. And that's what I'm working on right now. As a little girl, how, what was it like in the beginning? Like, how did you end up at this point? I was born in Zimbabwe and I lived in this, in this um, what they call a township, this suburb in Bulawayo. And um, as a child, I was always really curious. I, w- I was one of those um, kids who was always asking, why this, why that? Um, my parents uh, bought me a microscope just to keep me <laughs> occupied <laughs> when I was about five. And I was always really curious about the world. And, and that's, that's what I love about science is that it's the never ending questions and you're following the, you, it's the search for truth. That's what I see science as. It's the search for truth. Um, uh, whether we ever get there, but each step reveals more questions and more possibilities. And then you go down that path. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so I've always, my, I've always been interested um, in science and the whys and really understanding how the world works or how the body works. I totally, totally resonate with that. Um, to, to be able to be involved in the kind of work that you do, it's so important to study subjects like biology and probably chemistry and the sciences, which can be very intimidating. Um, were you just naturally good at these subjects? Like, what was your relationship with these subjects like? 
Oh yeah, with each of the, yeah, and obviously maths. So um, I loved my favorite subject that I've ended up obviously in human sciences was physics. I loved love physics, um, and maths. I, I enjoyed them, but I wasn't equally good at all of them. I think that some of it actually also depends on the mentoring and the teacher. I remember in one year I had a, I used to love maths and then one year I had a, a maths teacher who we, we just didn't hit it off. And that year my grades just went rapidly downhill. So I think actually a, a lot of it has to do with um, the openness and their approach. And once, I, once I'd internalized that science is really about a voyage into discovery. It's about being an explorer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, even some of the greatest minds, it's what that's what drives them that exploration. It was really freeing. So even if I couldn't figure it out, I just knew that if I worked at it, I would eventually come to some understanding. And that and, and that really helped in my in my progress. Um, and and I'm and I have to confess that I loved science more once I had that freedom of experimentation. I wasn't so great at sort of that road learning because really what drives me is being an explorer. Yeah. The unknown is what really intrigues me the most. And to be able to explore the unknown, you have to have a good relationship with failure. Yeah. Like what are your perspectives on failure? Oh, masses. I mean, so... <laughs> Being a scientist is, I think, one, you must be, it's, I am an optimist. And so it's, 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 it's not so much getting it right. It's about how many times you pick yourself up and the determination you have when you get things wrong. And, and I realized that the, the subjects that I enjoyed the most were the ones that took me the longest to understand. Hmm. Because... I had to look at them from so many different angles until I cracked it. And it was so, it's really satisfying. So it's, so it's, it's, it's really being able to push through those, those times when you, when you fail, because it's really about failure. If you don't fail, it means, I guess, I haven't really pushed myself um, in, in, in trying to figure out something really difficult. You know, my mother she was saying, you know, be whatever you want to be, you know, you know, no matter how outlandish. And in fact, she said, you know, the more unique it is, the better. Don't feel like you've got to follow a path that other people have taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, look, being a pioneer, you, you know, you have to develop a thick skin as well, because, yeah. because you know, you stand up, if you lift your head up and say, I'm going to do something, people will throw stuff at you. That's just, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's really hard. And that's why supported networks are important. Yeah, I often yeah. hear younger girls talk about feeling scared to speak up. Mm. They don't want to say something wrong or make themselves look like they don't understand. Um, it doesn't sound like you ever suffered from that. Oh my god! Oh, oh. 
<laughs> of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you deal with it then? How did I deal with it? How do I deal with it, I should say? Yeah. Because I think it's, um, it's something that we constantly have to be aware of in that we, it's so easy to be the listener and to, to absorb, right? So there's a, there's a part of me suddenly, and, and I think many scientists where you're observing the world and processing. Um, and if you're in a situation where you have to um, make a presentation or, or you're discussing with other people, it's so easy to be processing what everyone is saying and, and, and really think that maybe what you, you know, what I have to say may not be relevant or you can't contribute and it's strictly not the case. Um, when I was doing my PhD, it really forced me, my PhD training forced me to, to give presentations about the work that I was doing. And I was, I was really interested in understanding how stress um, changed the brain. Um, and we've really moved quite a lot now, but, you know, at the time it was still, it was still quite a new area. And um and I remember that initially my first presentation, I think I had a very low score because I was, I was so uncertain. I sort of stood up there and I was going, um, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. Um, and, and, and I think it's also about how maybe as men and women we present ourselves. Because after that first, uh, we call them duets, after the first duet, um, I came away just feeling, I didn't feel great. And, and I remember watching another fellow you know, student, we're all in our first, at the beginning, you know, he's just coming up with questions that you want to answer. And, 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 he, and he was a man and, and he went there and he was so confident said this. And I, and, and actually, in our one-to-one conversations, he didn't know any more than I did. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I realized then that actually I was doing, I was pursuing this because of my interest, not necessarily because I was waiting for an affirmation from someone else. And the next presentation I gave a few months later to discuss you know, how far I'd got with my research question. It was a completely different experience because I went there saying, actually, I'm studying this because no one knows the answer to this. Um, and actually, I probably know more than these other people because this is what I'm doing 100% of the time. And I went and I spoke and when people asked questions, I, I was curious what their questions were and if I didn't know the answer, I'd go, that's really interesting. I don't know the answer. I'll think about it and see if I can, if I can incorporate it in how I design my next experiment. And so I totally owned it. Um, and, and afterwards, people came and said, oh, that was a great presentation, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I'm still the same person. But it was, it's, it was really about how I, uh, you know, I've, I've, how I projected uh, the confidence in myself because I, I made it about, 
you know, the, you know, the question. Whereas before I was thinking, oh, you know, there are not many of us, many women here. I was very conscious of, of being a woman and not having many women around. Um, whereas the next one, I was just really proud of the work that I'd done to date and the questions. And so I was able to manage it better. Um, but it's something that is, it's a, it's a, it's a constant thing in a, in a, when you go into a new environment and you're, you know, the only woman, you know, done neuroscience or going to tech and then suddenly there are not many women doing technology, um, like, you know, founding technology companies. And you find that yet again, you know, people are making assumptions of your ability to process numbers. Go, no, actually, I'm an epidemiologist. I understand numbers. Data is, is, is my bread and butter. Um, but that experience early on, that training um, has helped me just not internalize people's doubt and preconceptions about the role of women in science. I just, um, you know, I just, I, I, I tackle it head on. Remember that, um, you know, men also have self-doubt and all of that, but they have other men to kind of, you know, they kind of egg each other on. Yeah. They have their network. And that's why it's important that as women, we have a network. Mm. because then um you know even if someone it, you know with the what you're doing even if people say oh you know you're not an engineer anymore blah blah, blah it's irrelevant you know your brain applied you applied yourself you got your phd you did that that's who you are you're an engineer you know that's it, it's more there'll always be, the louder the voices are that are saying you can't do this, it must mean they're threatened about something. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's where as women, we won't find that uh, external affirmation from our peers necessarily in the work, you know, from our peers at work. Why? Because we are an alien to them. There are not many women. Yeah. Um, no. So understanding that, then what is your goal? Your goal is supporting, you know, getting more women, more girls interested in STEM and getting them out there and, and, and supporting them through that. As you start to see your results, it won't matter what all those other people, because they're not your constituents anyway. You're not trying to recruit them into STEM. They're in STEM. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying that, you know, if we can change, um, you know, change things fundamentally and get those stories out there of people doing stuff. Um, I mean, one of my favorites, have you seen Hidden Figures? I love it. I watched it. <laughs> it was nice. I thought it was too Hollywood. It was uh, the fundamentals. No, but the, the, no, but there was, of course, there was a Hollywood thing. But the fundamentals, yeah, they existed, and we yeah. didn't even know. Why I loved it is that we didn't know the stories. If mm -hmm. I hadn't come across that film, I would have not known. Yeah, that there were these amazing women who 
who did this brilliant work. Yeah. And some of it really is the fundamentals of our computing today. And those stories need to be out there because then you can relate and go, oh, actually, that person looked like me. Yes, they're a woman. Yes, totally. they're a woman of color. I loved what you said about um, remembering that you're really interested in this. Yeah. Like, this isn't about the accolades. This is about actually doing the work. And this is what's so powerful is that you're doing the work. You know, you're there on the front line pushing advancing this technology forward and remembering that is so powerful and I think you know women have to I think uh, you know general sweeping statement but men are very aware of how they are advancing Mm. uh, science and technology but women are so much more self-conscious and it is about letting that go and just saying no I'm participating in the advancement of this and and being proud of that yeah absolutely it's so incredible um so what are the best bits about your job um oh yeah i I was just thinking how I, i i love my job the best bits are um designing the solutions i i love solving problems um, and particularly because I know that when we get it right, it's going to really improve people's lives. So that's the other, that's my other driver. It's always been, I've been interested in questions uh, to solve, you know, societies or the, the problems that the world faces. Um, and so applying my, my my brain to that is is really appealing and that's what i that's what i enjoy the most and working with a team so so science is also teamwork um yes i mean we hear sort of you know the stories of newton and then an apple and then suddenly voila but actually a lot of science is about working in teams and a lot of work that I'm doing and that other people are doing is based on the work that others have done before. So it's the team that you work with now, but it's also understanding what came before. And which makes me also interested in, I guess, in, in history in a way, the history of science and how we got to where we got to. Um, so that's, what, that's another aspect that I really enjoy. With hindsight, um, is there anything about your career trajectory that you would do differently? I probably would have started my company um, sooner. Um, I spent a lot of time really, you know, doing a lot of sort of analysis before even, you know, years. I wanted, I wanted to use technology to bridge the gap for health access for a long time. Um, and I kept on coming up with reasons why I needed to do this before I, before I could prove that I could start a company, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so I would say starting earlier, I, I, I definitely would have done that. Um, but I, I, like, I, I enjoyed the fact that I started in one trajectory as a neuroscientist 
meandered into working, doing stuff, doing HIV research, did more policy work. That sort of, that rounded aspect um, reminded me, it reminded me of how, you know, how flexible the brain is. It's really about applying your mind to whatever problem. And I have had exposure to different aspects, um, you know, of science uh, and, and, and really enjoyed them. Mm. And so it's in that aspect, I don't regret that at all. Yeah, I, whenever I ask this question, I always have in the back of my mind that hindsight uh, is a very unique thing because at the time we are, we're really making the best decisions for the resources we have at that moment. Mm. So with hindsight, it's like, yeah, you could do a ton of things differently, but you don't because, I mean, you just couldn't. Things were different. Yeah. Yeah. Then and so, you know, I've I've always become so um, aware, and also I've I've really heard answers where women don't regret, you know, which is a very powerful thing to not regret, you know, to say, well, I did my best at the time, and you know, yes, I would do things differently with this knowledge I have today, but back then, I did the best that I could. Um, what has been the best piece of advice you've ever received from either friends or family or professional colleagues? Yeah, I was graduating and there was a, there was a, there was someone else graduating with me. And so I was finishing my graduating, having finished, completed my neuroscience PhD. And already I, you know, I'd be thinking, you know, I had, I was, I had the, I had a job offer, a postdoc at Stanford and and at the same time, I wanted to explore the world and do field research. And I had no field experience at all. And it's so easy for us to, to box ourselves into a, into, a, into, a, into a little box, you know, um, you just put ourselves into a little box, a little category and say, okay, I'm a lab scientist. This is what I do. And, and, and this man um, is actually, is, 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 his name's Jonathan Weber, he's a professor at Imperial College. And we were, he's, and we were graduating at the same time. And, and he said to me, Precious, you know, yeah, you're a neuroscientist, but, but Africa needs people like you. Why don't you, why don't you work in HIV, do HIV research? And, uh, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I want to do field work, but it's, it's a radical departure from what I was doing. Um, but it's, it's really the best piece of advice because several months later, I landed in Entebbe in Uganda, and I just remember it was hot and muggy, and, and, I, and I learned so much. In that, in that space of time, understanding, you know, being in an uncontrolled environment, understanding that just because a medicine is there doesn't mean people will take it. Um, there are many different drivers of behavior. It's one thing to understand it theoretically. It's another when you're trying to get people to, to take a, some medicine or, or even take a vaccine or, or behave in a healthy way. Just... It's, it's really helped me understand how science 
inaction um, is different from science in a very controlled environment. And, and what you're talking about is so fundamental because um, I think maybe one of the reasons why people turn away from science is because it is very intimidating and there are Ivy Leagues and, you know, there's ranking systems and, you know, it's very competitive on, on the outside. It looks extremely intimidating. Um, but there's also this massive and vast aspect, which is that you can really make a difference to humanity and the idea that you turn down Stanford to do really meaningful work is so huge. I mean, it's just so huge. And this is what, I mean, these are the reasons why women should go into science. And it actually doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man or whoever you are. Like, these are the reasons why people need to go into STEM because, you know, your life can make such a difference to so many other lives. And I mean, it's just so incredibly inspiring to hear you talk about like living that. And, and the fun thing is that you, whilst you're doing it, you're, you're exploring, <laughs> you know, so it's, so it's, uh, it's never the same. Yeah. And it sounds so like, it sounds like your career has been so enriching and it isn't just about having this impressive CV where you can name drop of the places you could have gone and, you know, the, the sort of institutions. I mean, you have that as well, but it's also, you know, I just see your eyes lighting up with the experiences you've had rather than the sort of. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it brings it brings up additional texture of information, right? Um, and if you're going to solve problems, you want to have as much information as you can. And working with communities has been some of the, you know, I've, I've had some of my best experiences working with communities and understanding um, problems and understanding the solutions they've come up with um, and seeing how I can I can support them or improve or or, or have additional efficiencies, uh, that's been that yeah that's been really valuable. Yeah. So, in your uh, field, your STEM field, I don't think the statistics are as bad as the numbers of women in engineering. But how has it been for you as a woman in your particular area of research? Okay, so, well, because now I'm in technology and I'm, I'm, I'm in a tech company, I think that probably they're really bad, actually. If you think about um, there are very few women founders, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in neuroscience, uh, in the neurosciences, epidemiology, there are suddenly more women, um, and 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 it's and it, and it is an important aspect to have, you know, to have the role models, uh, because 
it's it's not even a conscious thing. Human beings, we, we recognize patterns and we, we make associations. So if you're going into a room and and you're the only woman there, if you know subconsciously there's a bit of your brain that feels as if you're this may be in the wrong room. <laughs> and and I think and I and I that's why I also think it's important that more women um, go, you know, go go into STEM because because we need back to that collaborative effort. We need to be able to approach the problem from different aspects. We need the diversity, uh, you know, of of of, of thoughts, diversity of ideas. Um, and if we only if we only have one aspect, then maybe well, not that maybe, then definitely you can also see it in terms of the questions that are answered and the, that are asked and the funding that's allocated. Uh, you know, women-centered or women-only uh, questions really tend to receive less funding than ones that, are, you know, that affect men. Because if you don't have women as advocates saying, we want to answer that question, and, and making sure that money goes there. If there's money, if the funding doesn't go there, then it, the work doesn't get done. So that that aspect is also important. Um, you said, you know, the people that don't support you, like walk away type of thing. That was the message I yeah. got. Yeah. Well, that's what I've. Uh, that's what I've. You know, that's what I've. That's what I've learned. There was a time when I didn't think people could be any other way. I just thought that that was all people, you know, they all just, I didn't think anyone could be supportive. Um, and, and it's taken me a while for the light bulb to go on where I'm like, oh gosh, there are people that don't believe in me. And there are people that really do see my vision and uh, they understand my passion. And that's been a revelation for me. Thank you so much for, for using your voice, you know. Well, thank you. For, thank you for doing this because you're using your voice. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's also how we keep encouraging people. We, we, you know, we speak. If we, if we don't speak, then, then we, you know, we, we can't exactly complain that we're not heard. Yeah. We have to speak up. Mm. Yeah. And it's such a positive thing to speak up about. We, you know, what we're saying is we want more women. Well, we want more women of color as well joining science and you'll benefit science. So it's such a positive thing. We need more of this. So I think it's great what you're doing. Yeah. I feel like building a network is like kind of building a bit of a safety net. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, for so many years, I felt very alone doing what I'm doing. Mm. We have conversations like the one that we've had. It's like, no, we're all just trying to figure this stuff out. Mm. We're all Mm. in this together. And I I really uh, feel very supported just personally. So I'm hoping that will radiate out to others. I really, yeah, I I really hope so. And, and, you know... it makes a difference because when we're there, we can speak and represent. I, I, I sit on the board of the Medical Research Council. I joined, I've been there a year now. 
when I when I was invited to apply, I looked at who else was there and I thought, no one there looks like me. And then I thought, you know what? If everyone thinks like that, well, you you have to, you know, you have to be there. And I applied, and I, and you know, and 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 I got through the interviews, and now I'm on the board. Um, and I can see that this is an opportunity to make a difference. And and so whenever I can, I will. I want you know, I want to speak about it. I want to. Yeah, if, if you know, if, yeah, I think it's. I think it's important and can make a big difference. As a woman and also as a woman of ethnic minority, let's say, mm-hmm. um, would you, have you ever experienced um, being like discrimination? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> have I experienced discrimination? Um, I think I, no, let me step back. So, Certainly, as an undergraduate, I didn't. Um, well, because you know, when you when uh, work is marked, it was always anonymous. So it, you know, so your grades are your grades, and so I I, I didn't feel at all discriminated against. Um, similarly, uh, doing my PhD, you know, I had a great supervisor um, and so I can't speak for others but because I had a great supervisor again I didn't you know I felt included and listened to um, you know that I was there because of my brain and that's what mattered versus anything else uh, I would say that what the, the largest level of discrimination I've noticed is, is is actually in the tech in the tech world uh, because there's an image that the people who um, understand understand technology are going to be white men. You know, uh, probably uh, maybe even say Ivy League white men. You know, this you can even put in another uh, category, uh, and that's where um, Afro- people have said really ridiculous things uh, to me that I won't even repeat. Um, due to their ignorance, really, and, um, you know, making assumptions about people based on the fact that they're women, and if you're a woman of colour, then, you know, you have that sort of double whammy, really. How do you push past that? Um, Well... I'm a scientist, I'm an optimist, I don't give up. <laughs> and so the, you know, the you you also it's important to find the people who who are who are open to ideas, who are not closed in, and you you work with those and the people who are sometimes it's really uh, you know a matter of educating them. Um, uh, and I and I and and also that's where that training comes in because I am a scientist and once you start speaking, it becomes clear that you know I speak and then I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes with prejudice, you don't even get to the 
room where they that anyone could listen to you. So so it's really about knowing that actually some doors are closed because of prejudice. Um, and some doors some doors remain closed even after you 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 know you've you've really uh, knocked very hard at them. Where you find the open doors and you just never give up and you don't internalize someone else's prejudice. It's their problem. Yes. I love that. Yeah. No, just as a very young graduate, you know, when I when I came out of university with my doctorate and I was in engineering and I was the only one mm. at that tender age, it was really difficult to not internalize the prejudice. Mm. Um, and so I really thank you for saying that, because I think if anyone's in that similar situation today, um, they really need to hear that, you know, because otherwise we'll just end up losing more skill and more talent in an area where we need more women. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, and 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 I think um, what would be good is having more networks. So being able to speak to someone else, you know, if you're if as the lone engineer in the room, and you experienced it. I mean, you can't turn around and say to those same people, (laughs) you you need a safe space or a network of of like-minded people that you can talk to. And and then when you once you realize, it's all about data points and you realize, oh, maybe someone said, oh, I'm not quite ready for this role. (laughs) But actually somebody who's not as experienced or not as good as me, you know, got that job, you'll probably find if you talk to other people, you'll be able to actually um, see that there may be a characteristic, maybe they're all women or maybe they're women of colour, and that they're others. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, you're not alone. It's when you internalise, you think, oh, it's me, I, I was less. And that's that's the danger. And that's And I think that's how we also lose... Um, women in science once people start thinking or maybe it's not for me no science is for everyone Mm. yeah and you know women women of color we can do the science yeah there's a lot against us I mean I don't want to sort of you know it sounds negative by saying that, but I'm, I think I'm just acknowledging that women actually have to juggle quite a lot yeah. mm-hmm. because on top of everything that we've discussed, there's also other aspects of being a woman mm-hmm. like motherhood mm-hmm. and juggling relationships. And mm-hmm. how do you balance? <laughs> how do I, yeah. Um, so, um, wow. Yeah. Um, it's 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 difficult because the expectations um, on women, you know, are much more. Um, someone told me recently that women scientists, for example, during lockdown, produced fewer, um, you know, fewer papers, had fewer outputs mm-hmm. than the male scientists. Now. That's not because the women are less able anyway, but most likely it's because the burden, the brunt of childcare 
of looking after the home fell on the women. Um, and that's where to truly have an inclusive um, society and improve women in STEM, it requires men as well to step up. Yes. So that was my long answer to say, how I juggle it is, you know, I, I make sure that my, my husband steps up. Um, yeah. And when I have to travel, I do travel for work because it's, it's, my work is just as important as his work. Yeah, and that's something, that's a theme that comes up over and over again is like, first of all, as women in STEM, I think we already have such high expectations of ourselves and we find it very difficult to ask for help. I think it might be the nature of the way our brains work in science. Like we're searching for answers. It's very, we, we're quite independent thinkers. Mm. Um, and so asking for help uh, can be quite difficult. And But at the same time, I feel like um, women don't doubt that they can juggle everything. But I think there's this acknowledgement that actually attitudes need to change about what's expected of women because there's just too much I mean how we can't change that biologically we carry babies mm. nine months and we have that role um, so then why are we also expected to have these really successful careers when I mean it's just not physically possible yeah, it's not I mean okay so I I personally think um, that the role that women have in, in, in bringing up children, being the carer, be, bringing up children or having to look after, you know, elderly relatives, et cetera, it, you know, needs to be not just acknowledged, but elevated mm. uh, with the understanding that you can't do everything well all the time. So women who actually um, take time off and make the decision to take a break to look, you know, to look after their children because they're young, and then want to, and then then want to get back into it, they should not be penalised. So maybe it's also about changing how we actually rate whether someone is a, you know, is a great scientist or not. Maybe it's your productivity when you're pro productive versus, you know, over a 10 year period. Because if, if, you know, a man who's been working continuously for 10 years and a woman who's taken five years to look after, you know, to look after children. And then if they're considered for a grant application and you just look at, oh, he has many more publications. Of course he has. He hasn't had to stop for, uh, you know, stop for children. Um, so that, I think that, that that's made a difference. There are schemes that um, to support women getting back into, into science. I want to be more radical and say, we just have to, the schemes are great, but let's just, over, let's just overhaul how we actually approach and, and, and reward um, achievement. If we can change that fundamentally, um, then, it's, then, it's, then it's across the board, it's not just saying having a, a scheme where we can help a hundred women. 
which it should we should be able to to support thousands of women. Yeah. And how we do that is to change at the fundamental level. It's also about education because uh, when I was studying, I just had my focus on qualifying, mm-hmm. and it takes a long time to get really great qualifications. Yeah. And then once you do, you're like, oh, I don't now want to take time out to have mm-hmm. a family because I am now qualified. I want to apply it to mm-hmm. industry or you know. And so there's there's no we don't have discussions about this you know like we we don't realize as women going into stem that we have all these questions ahead of us in terms of motherhood and and then by the time you start asking these questions and you're faced with these dilemmas it's almost too late and then you're in this whole realm of like egg freezing and like all this yeah, yeah. weird technology yeah, and yeah, honestly, yeah. looking back I'm just like how could I have done this differently? Um, because I just, I didn't even know that I was going to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. I did have a conversation with a woman who um, was Russian and she uh, had kids really early in her life. Mm-hmm. And she said that she knew she wanted to have kids. And so she did it early mm-hmm. because she said by the time the kids were 10 plus, she then wanted to go back to academia and do all the things she had dreamed of doing. And, you know, you're then also skilled up with how to relate to others because you've learned all these beautiful, amazing skills in raising children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now she's got a PhD in artificial intelligence and it's just like, mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm like, where, who told you to plan that? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So I'm like, you know, this is a systemic problem. I don't even know where to start in terms of trying to improve it. Um, But I am, you know, in having these conversations, you know, with women like you, I'm, I'm starting to piece together how it could possibly be tackled, but Mm -hmm. it's giant problem. And it's to do with, um, the way the system is set up. Yeah, and maybe yeah, but that's a really good point. I mean, if only in my first year um, in science, we had a, you know, there was a curriculum of women in science and the discussion of, you know, having a discussion around how do women progress in science? Um, what, you know, what are some of the challenges discussing motherhood? Imagine if you could have that as a, you know, as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. I think it would make a difference. So, I mean, I'm 46 and I've just had this year, I, you know, had, you know, we have a son, I have a five-month-old son. Um, my approach was, early on, I, you know, I sort of looked at the biology and said, okay, in my 30s, I'm going to freeze my air. You know, I did, I did, I did take the scientific approach because I didn't want that pressure. Um, you know, I didn't want the pressure of thinking, you know, the clock. And in any case, once I started to try and have children, 
it, it was, it was, you know, it took a very long time anyway. Um, and my career is important, but having a family is also really important for me. And it's only when I was really up against it, I realized that I wanted both. Mm. Um, and as a woman, as women, we shouldn't be forced to have to make a decision whether we have one or the other. Mm. Oh, it's, it's such an individual um, choice and you know and, and also you know when you're 22 you don't know whether you want to have children I, I you know I wasn't really thinking in that way when I was 22 um, and you know and in any case you know egg freezing whatever is not necessarily suitable or desirable you know for you know for other people and that's why I think it, it would be good to be to have conversations with with up-and-coming women scientists where we can all share our experiences in a safe space and say because everyone's done it differently you told me the story of the other person you interviewed who decided in her early 20s this is what she wanted and so she you know she went for it I was just immersed in doing what I was doing I, as an explorer you know I was following you know following the problem and I could do this and I, and then I have to travel and I have to live in Mozambique for a few months or live here for a few months um, because of the work and because you're immersed in it, of course, you're not necessarily thinking in the long term. But you know, time time is a is a is a dimension that is forever marching forward. Um, and um, yeah, I think you know, for me personally, having a you know being a mother being a working mother, you know, has challenges. And yet, for me, you know, there's an added dimension of the looking at problems from a di another different aspect, you know, the creativity that has to come with having to juggle all of this. And, and some people will make the decision that, you know, they'd rather one or the other. And, you know, that's okay too. We all, we you know, we all are make the decisions. We all make the decisions with the information that we have. Mm. It's 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 so intensely personal, really. You know, you can only live the one life, which is yours. You know, and and having a, a meaningful relationship with yourself and your partner. You know, because he, he, I may I say yourself because it's not about being egotistical. I just mean it's um, it's really important to know yourself and you know what is it that 
that enhances your life. So it's not about what makes you happy, it's about what makes you happier, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's a sort of fundamental, um, and only you can answer that question. And it's not really about, you know, society's expectations, etc. Because there was a time when I, you know, I remember thinking, oh, because I'm a woman, the expectation is this is what I'm going to do, etc. I'm going to have kids. It's, um, but surely, you know, there's an alternative way to be. I remember thinking about that when I was, I was in my early 20s. And, and so having a, having a baby was because, you know, fundamentally, I really wanted to have a baby. And, you know, that desire to have children is not, you, you, you cannot rationalize. It's not rational. It's not at all a rational desire. It's, it's, just, it's just a feeling and emotion that you have. Mm. That's, where, that's where being a neuroscientist helps because because I know any rational explanation I come up with, it's it's just it's just the topping on on really emotions are they are visceral. They're they're not that it's not our it's not our you know our neocortex. No, it's 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 much older than that. Yeah. So it's just really acknowledging that that's part of being a human being that we have these emotions uh, and these drives, we call them drives. Um, And there's no rational reason why I have that drive. So I have, that's what motherhood was one of my drives. And so I went with it. There's no rational reason. And so so it's, so it's that. So it's, so that's why I said, um, you know, understanding yourself. So I, I um, this I'm, I'm branching over to philosophy here, but but one of my favorite philosophers is Spinoza. Um, he wrote, you know, Ethics. I don't know whether you've read it, and why? I'm, because he's interested in what what are human drivers, the drives, what you know, what you know thirst, hunger, all those things, you know, this, what are they? And, and, and what is the optimum? And so it's understanding the optimum for yourself. And that's really individual. And so that's why understanding yourself is also, I, I recommend it. It's not Mm -hmm. something, you know, I'm not saying I understand myself completely. Well, I think it's a lifetime's work. Exactly. And this is what happens when you end up like spending four years analyzing data. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It makes you such an analytical person. Yeah. yeah and I'm like, I am overanalyzing right now. I need to stop this. It's too draining and, and just leave yeah. it alone and, yeah. and trust. Yeah. Trust. Yes, I think so. I think, you know, I think, you know, I think trusting, um, listening, checking in with yourself. And, you know, it's not like a maths problem, you know, where, you know, you kind of know, 
you know, if it's something that someone's done the proof of, you know, matter how difficult you sort of know, well, if I crack and I'll get the answer eventually. It's not like that. It's, it's because as I said it comes down to your state at that time. Yeah. And, and it's impossible to unpick whether it's the gene saying I must reproduce desirability bias, you know, you how on earth are you going to use that same instrument that processes this? How is it going to really unpick all the layers? I mean, that's why, you know, we use external measurements because we know that if we used internal measurements, you know, that's why you use a ruler and all that stuff because we, you know, remember those experiments that you did early, early on to show why we needed, you know, to be truly objective, you need another measuring instrument. So there's no way you'd be able to unpick all of that, because that same brain that's unpicking all of that is the same brain you're expecting to measure. So you just gotta sort of go, you'll never know. The real world, back to what I was saying, is, is, is messy. And you know, I'm reminded in my HIV work, I learned, I mean, there were, there were some uplifting stories, but there were some really heartbreaking stories. And I remember I was in South Africa uh, because we were observing young women, women over time to see, you know, just to see who was going to develop HIV or, you know, just, just to really understand what, what is the epidemic doing? And so when you're screening people before they take part in a study, you'd screen them for pregnancy and HIV and STIs, sexually transmitted infections. And occasionally you'd have somebody who's 18, because I was the, you had to be at least 18. So some were really young. They're 18, they're suddenly pregnant and they've discovered HIV at the same time. And And you, you know, and if I was, if I was going to be a sort of like a Martian coming in, I'd go, well, we know there's an epidemic in this area, therefore people should use condoms, therefore they should do this. But you'd hear the stories and you'd realize that actually it's more complicated than that. You know, you'd say, oh, you know, um, he's my boyfriend. And he looks after me, buys me nice gifts. He comes and sees me whenever he can. He just happens to be a tracker. He's in another country, passes through once every three months. Okay. And, and she, was, she would be utterly faithful to this man, right? And, and in some cases, that would be her first sexual experience. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, you know, what it taught me and... And I, and I go back to those stories that, I, that were shared by these young, brave, amazing women uh, that, you know, we make decisions based on the information that we have and that our circumstances change all the time. And that 
actually, you know, as a scientist, I thought, you know, in logical terms, there's an epidemic, therefore this is how the behaviors, it doesn't work out, doesn't work like that. Because our, really our brains are not wired like that. I mean, just even look at COVID, even with people dying and the whole thing about do people wear masks, do people this, people would have raves in the pandemic. The data's there, but human beings, you know, the drivers are not necessarily the rational. And that, you know, if you look even from an evolutionary perspective, um, you know, that drive to survive, to whatever it is, has been there for much longer than, you know, than our, than language or, or, our, or our other abilities as human. And just as it applies to those people, it applies to us, even as scientists. We are still human beings. We are not machines. You're not a machine. I'm not a machine. Mm. So go with gut, basically. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the best. Yeah. Well, obviously, where it's clear that this, you know, yeah, obviously, a car is, you know, you're about to cross a road, look before you cross. You know, these simple um, decision-making or something that's simple, it's easy to, to make a, uh, you know, make a decision. <clears throat> but we know that when it's not immediately obvious which is the right option, because the answer will be in the future, and we cannot predict the future. No one really, you know, we make estimates, right? But it's really difficult to predict the future. When it's those fine balances, emotions and feelings, that's when they start to play a role. Um, previous experiences that's even subconscious becomes to play, comes to play a role. I mean, I mean, there's a whole neuroscience behind decision making and and all of that. It's very, it's it's, it's fascinating. Mm. That's part of the reason why I love being a scientist, right? Is yeah. that um, well, it's the it's the um, convergence of like science and philosophy. And yes. Yeah. The origins yeah. of everything. Yeah. 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 I, love, I love those intersections. Yeah, and so. You know, about you thinking, do you want children, etc. Having the relationship, being happy and enjoying the relationship that you have, that's also important. Yeah. Yeah. And and long may you enjoy it, but when you don't enjoy it, then you do something about it too. You know, I think it's more part of the reasons why human beings have probably have more stress than a zebra or, you know, a zebra sees a lion, ah, freaks out, the lion's gone, relaxes. Human beings, we, we, you know, we fast forward about possibilities, you know, so we layer and layer on. Uh, maybe, maybe 
maybe what um, maybe also just being in the present yeah um, is is also important no no we know it's important but reminding ourselves as human beings because we do a lot of running in the future <laughs> as well mm. and we do that I mean it's such a human trait what do you do to keep yourself kind of emotionally and mentally and spiritually balanced? Wow. So um, I, well, first off on the physical side, I think actually being healthy physically is also important. And, and I have a lot of energy. Um, and, Maybe some of that is because my brain is always, you know, I'm always thinking of ideas. Um, so I actually have a lot of physical energy. So sport is important. Um, I love doing sports that require, that use both my brain and my body. So um, fencing, climbing, Mm-hmm. Um, I also I haven't gone I haven't been diving for a while but I do diving as well because when I'm doing those sports I have to totally focus on them and they're also physical I also enjoy swimming so swimming is also another one but swimming you could you can autopilot swimming but I particularly like those that engage my brain as well as my body so that's how I get rid of my excess physical energy and I found that once I've used up that excess physical energy, um, reading and just really have, taking time to be still and to breathe and to connect with the nature. Um, I love going for walks and just marveling. You know, I'm back, I'm that you know, just marveling at the leaves and how they turn, just observing. So that observational aspect, um, A, helps balance me and puts us into context of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm another, I'm just another human being. There've been human beings before me, there'll be human beings after me. I'm just a custodian on this earth. I'll just try to do, minimize, not, damage too much hopefully improve you know the fact that I'm using up oxygen and releasing co2 hopefully I'm actually I can improve the world in some way um, and and every day I find something to be grateful for so that gratitude is grounding um, I feel immensely grateful for having the sort of brain that I have that, um, you know, appreciates life in all its forms, be it a plant or, you know, or or a human brain or stars and, you know, or some interesting piece of engineering that that creative brain mm. that I do, um, and and when life is particularly tough, I also 
love going to art galleries. I remember um, when I was doing my PhD, you know, so many failed experiments as one does when you're doing something new. And, uh, and I'd go to the Fitzwilliam and I'd go and, and I'd sit there and I'd visit certain paintings or, or I'd make a special trip into London, go to the National Gallery, visit certain paintings. Um, that, that just seeing something beautiful and creative when you, that it, so, so it's inspiration from nature, but also inspiration when humans apply themselves to really doing something really well. Mm. That, 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 you know, all those different aspects balance me and I, and I, and I do quite a lot of reading and philosophy and, and I cook and I do gardening. Gardening was a recent one. I discovered that over lockdown. So planting and seeing things grow. Oh, so really, yes. And just getting your, being physical actually, um, because we spend a lot of our time doing mental stuff. Mm. Physical work is also really rewarding. Definitely. Um, what's been your most humbling experience in life? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, when I thought I was a know-it-all uh, landing, thinking I, you know, oh, this is all we needed to do and we could solve the HIV epidemic. <laughs> um, and what was really humbling was really understanding that people have to juggle so much um, and that life is messy. It's not, it's not just clean cut. It's not a, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not an algebraic equation. Or if it is, it's a really complex one. There's so many inputs. And that's, that's what's been really, that's what's been really humbling. And, and, and really learning, you know, learning a, learning a lot from them and, and understanding that actually as humans to be truly happy, we don't really need that much. They're just some basics that we need. What do you think is your greatest superpower? Oh, um, my greatest superpower. Probably my fizz. <laughs> By fizz, I mean, um, you know, when I fail at something, or I try something and it doesn't work, I still bubble up, <laughs> I <just> get up. <laughs> and I think that ability to, to stumble and fall and dust myself up and say, okay, I'm going to get up again and, and I'll try something else. 
I think that is, I'm really grateful for that, for that attribute, because that's what makes me an optimist because I go, okay, this is what's happened. Let me get up and try something else. And then I try something else and I try something else. That's awesome. I love that. Your fizz. Um, You've talked about role models and mentors. Um, What do you think has been their best qualities in terms of that role? Um, I've been fortunate to have, um, yeah, different... Um, different people's role models. My my mother died when I was 21 and she was, she was a phenomenal role model for me um, in that, you know, even as I was growing up and there were not many women going into science, my parents taught me that I could be whatever I wanted, you know, whatever I said, they'd say, yeah, this is great. Yeah, um, and so having that acceptance fundamentally uh, was, you know, really, you know, really helped me a lot. Um, and along the way, I've had mentors who've, you know, who've guided me. Being entrepreneurial, of course, means that I, you know, I, I you know, I all, I as well as listening to people I I will also I also like going against the trend as well so it doesn't mean I always internalize or act on on the advice I I get given but people willing to lend me a hand give me advice uh, a word of encouragement that's that's always been you know I'm really yeah I'm really grateful for that We've talked about EDNI, so equality, diversity, mm. and inclusion. Mm. You've mentioned the importance of collaboration and different people coming together. Um, but how do you think we can encourage more EDNI in STEM? Yeah. Oh. Um, at the level of the universities. I think that's the start, right? Because um, I think you have pupils, you have probably in a large number of girls doing doing really well at GCSE, um, science subjects, maybe some quite a few fall off um, at A-levels, but maybe quite a few still carry on. And then it's at each level, you have, you have leakage. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my, in my own capacity, I think mentoring girls at school is important so they, they can see role models. Um, when I can, I've given uh, talks. I haven't done it for a few years, but one of the things I enjoyed doing was going to school and talking to people about what it's like being a scientist. And people would look at me and go, but you don't look like a scientist. <laughs> because- Which is perfect. <laughs> Right. Break those stereotypes. Yes, because and I'd say actually, um, it's you know, 
you could be a scientist too. And having that conversation, it would open up that conversation. Um, or people feeling the pressure at A level, like, oh, if I, you know, if I do science, am I, it's maybe it's not cool enough, and then having those sort of conversations. But I, but I, but I think that's starting to change. When we get to university, and they, and um, and it's great. Of course, we can work on getting more uh, people of color, more women taking up subjects. We need the people teaching to be also women and people of color, and that's where we're failing. They're not enough. There's not enough diversity at the teaching level. Um, and we need more professors. We need, that's, that's yeah, we, just, we need to start seeing those results. Why are they not there? Um, because people leave, you know, people leave academia. You're not, are you in academia? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not in academia. No, no. Yeah, yeah. You what I mean, yeah, so we're an example of the leakage. Um, but saying that, it doesn't have to be the case. It, sh it shouldn't be a binary, I'll be in academia or I'm not. Mm. Um, I spent some time in the US and what I really, um, what I really benefited and really enjoyed from being that, uh, from being that environment was the free flow of movement of being able to be in academia, going to public service, going to the private sector and go back again. Yeah. Having more of that, mm. we'll, we will start to see the, the, the benefit um, of having that diversity, even at, you know, amongst the teaching staff. If you can have that, I think it will, it will, we will be able to retain more women, yeah. have more people of color, uh, and and it will enrich us, and you know you can look at it from from uh, from an equity lens and say it's important because it's about equity, yes, but it's also important from from the the perspective of of actually being able to be creative. And as a country, um, if if we look at the UK and if we look globally uh, as well, uh, it's also important in 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 what we can the ideas we generate, the solutions. Uh, we come up with to have that diversity. So it benefits society as a whole to have that diversity. And that's why we need to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I just completely agree with you. Uh, it's so important to have representation in STEM and we really don't. Um, but, you know, conversations like ours today are really going to help not only just change the way the faces that we see in STEM, but also um, in the relatability. I mean, you've just been so inspiring talking about your work today, but also in opening up about who you are as a, as a person. And, you know, I think conversations like this one are so necessary in, in recalibrating who it is that is part of STEM. And so thank you so much for all of your time. And um, it's been a privilege to get to speak to you. And yeah, um, thank you for sharing with us. Well, thank you. It's been a 
real pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation and I hope we have many more. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from the algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed Women. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.